women everybody men will want to see so they put it on display some people play a fine guitar And welcome to this week's episode of the Hammer Time Podcast. I am your host, Ethan Hammerman. We're on Playmaker Mentality. We're on iTunes. Talking about sports, society, and stuff. Hope you had a great week last week. I definitely did. But we're back this week, and we have a really great guest and a ton to talk about. So I'm happy that now I can say that I have had the trifecta of NFL.com people on this show, although... the the man who we're about to talk to is probably a little bit more renowned than the first two are on the show. Oh, stop it. Absolutely. Oh, no, no. I mean, we love that and Alex Gellhar. They're cool. But we have the man himself, the one of the faces of the NFL Network, Patrick Claybon, with us tonight. Patrick, how are you doing? Man, Ethan, I'm spectacular. And the, the number one metric to determine uh, how renowned someone is is how many followers they have on Twitter uh, because it's the best website. Um, Alex and Matt exceed me exponentially they are they are champions of the internet and so they are far more well-renowned than me and they live together which is like double swag yeah have you been to their place before dude it's, it's so weird i have not yet been to their place which is a travesty uh we we we, we talk you know in our at work messaging client about um you know why uh, why i'm not hanging out as much and uh you know we've, we've got the kid on the way and we're we're moving and shaking and doing a whole bunch of stuff. And, our, and the schedule has been weird. So like I haven't been able to go to their place, which is absurd and obscene. And I'm going to fix that. And you know, well, first of all, as you said, congratulations on the fact that you're about to have a child, which is crazy. When when's the child due? Uh, March. We're looking at late March, and uh, we're super excited about it. And the the easy part uh, I got done. You know, it was it, it, it was something I've been working towards my whole life. But I'm a, I'm a uh, registered sex haver now and um look it was great Um, (laughs) yeah you have the proof you have the proof now it's coming and no that's so cool and that's also perfect timing because that's right in between the end of football season and the draft so really really good timing (laughs) yeah we are a football family Uh, that's 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 how that works yeah I, i was gonna say though you also have an adorable dog and i do not know how that dog hasn't met charlie yet charlie Harmon. Oh, they, they've definitely met. Uh, we most of the time when I when I do see Alex and, and and Matt outside of work at at some form of event, it's over at our place. And so uh, Charlie has come over, and um, and him and Penny have have run around and, and run amok. And she's stolen toys, and he's brought toys. 
it's a it's a festival of cute, which is uh, which is what we can all strive to have if we're pet owners. That's all you can really want, and I know Charlie is a. If the attention is not on Charlie for the entire period of time, he gets a little bit anxious. So yeah, he really does. He's definitely <laughs> someone who needs to constantly be the center of attention. But that guy will cut you. Oh, he yeah, he will cut you. He will also just like sit in front of you and not let you leave. Like that that is Charlie to a T. And the crazy thing is, he's never gonna get any bigger than the size he is, and he's so small. He's always just gonna be a puppy forever. It's yeah, it's and crazy. The old adage, the old adage goes true. The the fight in the dog, you know, the cliche that like. Workout bro has on his T-shirt. Yes, yeah. the, the fight in the dog of Charlie is, is incredible, um, and he'll he'll get you. I mean, uh, yeah, I almost swore. Can can we swear? Uh, oh, you know, you can say whatever you want. This is the the the, the one place is going up. Uh, has had one article posted in the past month, <laughs> so I think you're good to go. I think you can say whatever you want. No, it's just uh, it, it just that's that's how that's how passionate uh, Charlie makes me feel. Oh, yeah, he will. And if you don't know who Charlie is, and you're just listening to this podcast, you're like, who the fuck are they talking about? <laughs> who are these guys talking about? Um, at Charlie Harmon on Twitter, or just at Matt Harmon, because he has lots of pictures of Charlie. It's his dog. Very, very cute dog. And you can also look at Patrick's dog. Go to his Twitter, at Patrick Clavon. So... We're going to jump right into it now. We're going to talk about some sports. And as we talked about, you are one of the faces of the NFL Network, the face of NFL Now, I believe, correct? Uh, yeah, we, we do our show. It's uh, NFL Network up to the minute. Um, Monday through Thursday, it's hosted by Andrew Siciliano. Uh, you may know him from such uh, epic tales as NFL Red Zone on DirecTV. And um, last year's show around the NFL um, also does play-by-play. Except that Andrew is incredible. He does the show Monday through Thursday. We we kick it back and uh, and do the show on Friday. Uh, I host that with uh, the same cast and crew around the country. And then on Sundays, uh, I host the second block of um, NFL Game Day Live, which is like you know, Ethan, if you're if you're at home, you're watching your game, your team is getting trounced, or your team is trouncing somebody else, and you want to watch me and Daniel Jeremiah and Terrell Davis uh, laugh and joke about the games that are going on. <laughs> uh, flip over, flip over, and hang out. With us. That, that's that's what we do. Yeah, this is totally an East Coast West Coast thing, and I know that you can relate to this because you grew up in Alabama, which is Central Time Zone, actually, right? Is Bur- although Birmingham's like on the border, right? Well, Bur- it's, um, you, you cross over the border to Georgia, that puts you in Eastern Time Zone. Mm-hmm. We're we're in Central Time in Birmingham, Alabama, which I think is the best time. Uh, of course, I'm extraordinarily biased, but like if you if you want to watch a show like Twenty Four. It coming on at eight o'clock to me is far superior than say nine o'clock or whatever time shows come on out here on the West Coast. It's crazy if you want to if you want to watch something, you have to stay up way too late and watch it three hours after. That's awful. Well, we got to get that fixed. It's, that, it's, it's, it's tragic, man. But for live events and for football especially, I don't think it beats the West Coast. No, it's yeah, it's tough to beat. <laughs> you wake up, you can watch football, you get to have lunch, then you can watch more football, and then you still have the entire night to do something. Like, the thing about 4 o'clock games on the East Coast is I'm always slightly depressed because the weekend's over. Well, yeah, and, and one thing about uh, college football on the West Coast, that crazy late Arizona game that's on, it, it's not crazy late out here. It's only like 10.30, which is crazy. You, you stay up, and, and so you can legitimately wake up at seven o'clock 
and watch football the entire day until you go to bed. It's nuts. It's bonkers. Yeah, it's pretty good. I, I miss living out in California. That was fun. Uh, but so to start with you, though, and I guess it's a two-pronged question. I guess one part is what first made you love football, but then also what made you want to be a broadcaster? Oh, the broadcasting thing, like, you know, it was like four or five years old. And, you know, when you're, you're a hyper kid and you like attention, because um, I mean that's what that's what we all we all enjoy. Like we're on Twitter because we want people to read our tweets. <laughs> you know, we say things because we want people to hear them. And um, I always thought it was cool if I could try to communicate with people and entertain them. And so early on, I wanted to be a stand-up comic, which is awful. <laughs> you know, it's like it's, what? Like who? Who actually wants to do that? And it, that's something that's really really hard. And as as I grew up. Uh, obviously, I, you know, I played sports. I ran track, played basketball. Um, sports became something that's important to me. And when people would, would talk about them, I find myself getting involved, getting engaged, and really like being passionate about discussion of sports and athletes. And so when I, uh, when I went to Troy, I, I intended to run track. Um, wasn't, wasn't able to qualify with the NCAA uh, right off the bat because I was a dreadful high school student. <laughs> Absolutely dreadful. And so the plan was to get my eligibility and uh, do what I needed to do from there. But by the time um, I made it to the dean's list and was looking at academic scholarships and, and things like that, uh, I was like, well, I, I, I really didn't have the itch anymore to run or, or to compete. And so I, I went to... I was, at, I was at the Hall School of Journalism at Troy University and was cool, like, having the energy to stay up and read or, or do everything, not always running, not always thinking about practice. And, um, and so that, that was just it. I, I was able to find a way, hopefully at that point, to talk about sports for a living, which was just the holy grail to me. And uh, yeah, I'm sitting here talking to you right now. It's, still, it's kind of crazy. It's kind of crazy that, that I'm able to do it still. It, it's definitely crazy, although I would like to, to do some YouTube searching and see if there's any archive footage of you trying stand-up comedy out there, because I feel oh like God, no. I, I feel <laughs> like that would be pretty entertaining to take a listen to. No, it's uh, there is not. Uh, if there was, I'd make sure that the servers have been nuked. Like, straight up SEAL Team 6, go in there and physically remove hard drives. If that were the case, because uh, watching somebody bomb, man, like even have you ever seen, do you have any friends that do stand up? I have friends who do sketch actually, but not stand up, no. And so, like, if, if you have a friend that does stand up and they're like, hey, man, check this out, like, uh, tell me what you think about this, and they're just on stage bombing, like, it's the most tragic, like, I get secondhand embarrassment. Do you, do you ever get secondhand embarrassment? Yes, oh, to- that's a thing. When they're like watching a show and it's like something awful has happened, even if the characters are fictional, and you're just like, oh, like I can't watch it. Like I'll hide under a pillow. But when you're watching somebody fail doing stand up, that is deadly, man. Like I can't. I, nobody should ever have to deal with that. But I mean, that's the, that's the punishment for not being funny, which is like the highest, highest level of crime you can commit. 
I, I was going to say I got that from watching the Atlanta Falcons last year, but they actually look okay this year, so I can't say that. <laughs> because oh, Matt Ryan, uh, last year, he's gotten better this year, but last year was not very good. Yeah, what happened? We, we were watching Matt in the preseason, and it's like, oh, I mean, this is this is coming to a horrible end. And he's freaking on fire right now. That like, schedule is about to get so much harder, though. I was talking to um, – I'm just going to pull up the schedule right now. And all I know is that they played Oakland and New Orleans, of course, in their second and third game this year, and then they played um, the Bucks, and they lost that game the first game of the year, and the Bucks don't look amazing, so that isn't exactly great. But their next uh, few games are, listen to this, Carolina at home, which Carolina has looked amazing, but that's still tough defense, at the Broncos, at the Seahawks, San Diego at home, Green Bay at home, at Tampa Bay, and then at Philadelphia, who all of a sudden look really good. Yeah, and Ethan, let me, okay, if, if, we're, if we're playing devil's advocate, that we're going through this schedule, and we're talking about this revitalized Matt Ryan, because if you remember last year, it wasn't like he was an absolute dumpster fire, he was just a situational dumpster fire. Like, this dumpster could be on fire, but I'm going to look at it, and, like, open the door and see if there's flames in there or not. Like, the red zone turnovers and things like that. It's like, well, I don't actually know if the dumpster is on fire. So, we don't think that, neither you or I think they're going to beat the Panthers at home. No. Like, that's, okay, Broncos on the road. Eh. That that Broncos team is good. But we, we saw the way that, offer no. You kind of have to throw out a bit because the Saints still did put up huge numbers without Willie Snead. Um, but Alford was given uh, he was given Breeze some issues, wasn't he? Robert Alford is an underrated cornerback. I will say really, I was looking really up good. some statistics about him, and um, because I I don't know how much you can say, but like Football Outsiders, uh, they are now doing cornerback charting and making it open to the public on a rolling weekly basis which is great because democratizing information is definitely a good thing to do. So I, I made the purchase, and Robert Alford was, I believe, the fifth best cornerback in football last year in terms of not giving up big plays. Awesome. He, yeah. he's, a, he's, not, he's not as bad as people seem to think he is, or at least he's not as bad in that one category as people sometimes think he is. I think the issue with that team is they don't have a pass rush, and those linebackers are small. Yeah, none to speak of uh, whatsoever. And they, they wanted so much out of Vic Beasley, and it's it's just not happening. So the Broncos' offensive line, they get Russell Okung in. We don't think they're going to win yeah. <laughs> in Denver. And so we, that gets us to the Seahawks game. You know, I'm not, I'm not sure if Russ is okay, man. Well, the funny thing is the guy who I don't think is okay is Cam. I don't think Cam's okay. No, um, neither one. You've got you got these guys dealing with lower leg injuries. Um, Cam can hop around on one leg, and Vic Beasley is, is going to have difficulty sacking him um, over, the course of, over the course of a game. Uh, the Chargers, do you know how to feel about San Diego right now? I feel bad for San Diego is yeah. how I feel right now because they've gotten screwed over by injuries. Although uh, I think Manti Teo being out could be a little bit of addition by subtraction. But that team is weird to me because I feel like they should be slightly better than they actually are, and yet they're just really, really middling. And I 
I, the one guy who I really like on that team who's come on the past couple of weeks and who I wanted in fantasy this year and someone sniped him for me multiple times was Tyro Williams, the wide receiver. Yes. He's looked very good. He, he jumps off the screen, man. Um, there was the uh, crossing route that he caught on Sunday, and the guy puts his puts his right foot in the ground and turns on field, and he's a blur. And uh, we're sitting there watching, and uh, Daniel Jeremiah is like, this this guy's always been able to fly. And I, I, he, DJ was talking about uh, that he should have gone and picked him up. And so he's, he's, he's disappearing from, uh, from a lot of waiver wires, depending on the depth of your league. Um, but yeah, Tyrell Williams is a, is yeah. a guy that will surprise you. Yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens with the Falcons. I mean, they're first in the division now, so better start than I expected. But they also got to a really good start last year, and they sort of bottomed yeah, out as the year went on. So We saw how that went. Yeah, we did. But we can transition back to um, just overall, speaking of, well, the Falcons don't have any Troy Trojans on their team. They used to have Jonathan Masquab, but then he got cut. Yep. But when they you're also, at Troy... They uh, They did used to have OCU Minura. Um, but you're a Troy Trojan, and you were at Troy at a really interesting time in their football team's history because it was when they had some really, really good prospects. I mean, you were there, and DeMarcus Ware was there, and I think that there are a couple other people, too, who I couldn't remember when I was originally thinking about this question. So what was it like covering the team at that time? Well, it, it was incredible, Ethan, and, and that's why, you know, people may be surprised uh, randomly. I, I, t- I tweet about a lot of random stuff, but the idea that, that we could get back to those days where we were a legitimately really, really good football team, uh, guys like Leotis McKelvin, uh, obviously DeMarcus Ware, uh, Derek Ansley, who's who's now an assistant coach. Um, you, you just you go down the list. Um, the, a lot of the guys where you like a, like a Mario Addison, uh, for example, who's at times making the huge plays, the the, the rundown that he had in, in the Super Bowl. Um, to have all those guys at at our relatively small liberal arts school in the bottom right-hand corner of Alabama. It was, it was just a wild time. It was good to go, you know, watch us smack Austin P. <laughs> uh, Missouri, the Missouri team, Brad Smith comes in, uh, comes into Troy and it takes the L on national television. Uh, those are, those are just really good times. And I, you know, anybody that has a chance to go to a school where college football is important, you gotta, you gotta take advantage of that. <laughs> and it's, it's awesome, and, and uh, you you really find yourself uh, becoming involved in a whole lot more, and that's and that's where it was for me. I, there's no way there's no way in hell uh, without Troy football and, and Larry Blakeney and the access and the opportunities that I had to cover the football team. You know, just being able to you know have lunch with somebody or like referee an intramural basketball game with a guy who's going to go in the first round of the NFL draft. <laughs> I, mean, I just, I had so much access, uh, and it really, I went back to Troy to, to speak uh, last year to, as uh, as freshmen were coming in, and it's it, it's 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 crazy to think of uh, of all the opportunities that I have uh, because of my university. It's uh, I love it, and uh, that's why I'm here, man. If not for that place, I don't know what I'd be doing. But I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be sitting here looking at palm trees. Los Angeles, California, I guarantee you that. So when you were at Troy and you saw DeMarcus Ware, did you know uh, did, in the back of your mind that this is something special? 
Oh, he's already kidding me? I mean, I, <laughs> here I am, right? Uh, a guy who used to, every every draft season, I would, um, I'd have my big board. And I would, I would make my big board, and we'd have people come over and watch the draft. This is something that I did since I was 14 years old. And and so college football recruiting, and, you know, when you're, you're born and raised in Birmingham, Alabama, it's something that you're, you're involved with. And so, you know, there's this two-star guy named Demarcus Ware who's from Auburn High School. And it's like, ah, the measurables, you know, people get worried about it. He's kind of a stringy guy, so he goes to Troy. And he, he hits that growth spurt, and he becomes this this absolute man child. Uh, coach Richard Shaughnessy, the strength and conditioning coach down there, uh, puts it puts him in position to, to be successful. And so you, I knew I knew of him before I got there. And then when I got there, you, you do things like um, some of the football players used to participate in intramural athletics, and you watch this guy play in an intramural basketball game like against. Some frat daddy from Sigma Chi. <laughs> it just doesn't look like, you know, it just it doesn't look like the same caliber of human, and it's not. But it just doesn't. It's, it's he jump he jumps off the screen off of where he's walking, and he's and I know I know it's going to sound hyper biased because I am. He's an incredible human being, just over the top, incredible. The the lasting image I'll have of Demarcus is walking through. Um, what we called uh, Frank's Place <laughs> on campus, and he's uh, sitting there having a sandwich, and Mel Kuyper's talking about his big board on ESPN, and there's DeMarcus Ware highlights as DeMarcus is casually signing autographs for, for folks and having a sandwich right underneath it. Uh, not a care in the world, just working on his stuff. That's, uh, that's that dude, man. And uh, that's it's really what put me here. It's, it's really what put me here is, is having that level of access and just kind of walking around with people who are going to the NFL Hall of Fame. I just got to wait. Just got to wait to that uh, you know, six, seven years. I'm hoping to take a trip, take the family up to Canton and watch him go in. Yeah, and I, I've heard stories about him off the field and that apparently he's just a really, really good person. So that's those are always nice to hear. I like hearing that football players aren't all douchebags. Um, <laughs> So, as you said, being at Troy brought you here uh, to the NFL Network. Uh, I know we're going to talk a little bit about your time before, a little bit later in this podcast, but right now, why don't you give us a taste of what a day in the life is like for you? Okay, let's see. A day in the life. I'll uh, wake up at about 5.17 because I'm weird, and I have no idea why, but, but that's... That's when the clock tells me to, to wake up. What and, does your wife uh, think of that? I, I try to be extra sneaky. <laughs> That's what I try to do. Um, and this is on this is on a random day on Sundays because she produces for Game Day Morning, and she's she's, she's done that since before I, I got out here. We actually met met well before either one of us became uh, California residents. But so she's she's already gone on Sundays. But the other days, I'm I'm up first. I'll, you know, take the dog out, and then uh, it's it's all about watching the Twitter timeline go <laughs> for, for for most of the day, uh, except for, except when I'm in traffic. And so I'll, I'll get to work uh, probably about six thirty. Uh, get dressed, 
put the tie on, go to makeup, and get back to the Twitter timeline and just watch and see what the, the news and the events of the day are and be ready to go. Uh, you got you got to be ready to be on television within three or four minutes of, of anything breaking. And so we're just we're just watching and waiting and ready uh, for breaking news. And on uh, on show days, uh, while we're waiting for breaking news, we're putting the show together. I'm trying to figure out what people are, are talking about, what people are interested in, and also what the reporters are interested in. Because you know we got guys like like James Palmer, he'll be in Colorado, or Tiffany Blackman, will be cruising around the southeastern United States. And that's what that's what we want to do with up to the minute is give them a chance to tell us really what they, what they care about. And uh, it's a show for news nerds. And if, if you if you like football news, then that's what we want to be a show of. Is is a show for people to come out and, and hang out with us and and see what the real story is because a lot of things, for example, like you know the the trouble in the locker room story in Washington, right? <laughs> yes, I do. So, like, you get you get Mike Florio, who, who runs Pro Football Talk and is, is a big part of the football conversation on the internet. And so what he, what he has is, is a source that says that people are unhappy with Kirk Cousins' performance. And then... That, does that sound nefarious to you? Ethan, like when when a guy's throwing picks in the, in the red zone, like, are you supposed to be happy about how he's playing? Yeah. Like, does, does does that mean that that you are like leaving voodoo dolls in his locker, like, or stabbing a, a cantaloupe and then putting a sticky note on it that says you? You know, like that. Some sometimes the, these stories that we get all fired up about, like like Debarco Murray sitting next to Jeffrey Lurie on the plane and having a conversation. Like, sometimes those things aren't really that big of a deal. And the best people to hear that from are the people that are in the locker room who have actual context for, for what a conversation is. Because if, if we're not giving you context for what a player is talking about or, or what a player is doing, then all we're doing is just really giving takes, which is, I mean, I understand it. Like, takes is a huge industry. But it's, it's, not, it's not what I'm here for. And... And uh, so I'm, I'm glad that that's what that's what we try to do with our show. Yeah, giving takes is it can get a little bit boring. And I like like if I'm going to be watching someone on NFL Network, um, especially talking about news, I don't need your opinion. I just need to hear what's going on because honestly, as you say, like these are people who are on the ground. They might know more of what's going on than they may necessarily let on. The crazy thing for me that I, when you mentioned the Washington story, I was thinking about the drama that happened um, with Scott McLuhan's wife and Diana Rossini. Oh. <laughs> that, that is, that, that is a, a whole other mess of a story. Where that's, that's a whole different story. Uh, on, on not ethical. Thing. Not very ethical. If, if her... Allegations, which I think are baseless, are to be believed. Um, for those who don't know what we're talking about right now, there was a story, I think it was last year, where the general manager of Washington um, was accused by his, I believe, ex-wife of a reporter who was reporting on him. She was accused of having sex with him to get scoops, which is, was not a good accusation. 
but not the kind of thing that you would cover on the NFL Network, I don't think. Uh, no, just yeah, because we, it's a little bit lowbrow and a little bit shady. <laughs> yeah, we, we stay away from stuff like that. I mean, me personally, um, if consenting adults have any form of relations, uh, that's that's really not my business, no matter what. You know, if they're yeah, uh, even if they're exchanging goods and services, that's that's something for the vice department. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let them be. That's that's something for. Uh, I'm gonna do a throw card. Something for Lipstick Alley. That's <laughs> that's something for. A little bit off the off the off the board, yeah, um, but that's I mean allegations and accusations are, are really just that, and uh, and so if if they're no matter I mean no matter what it is, even if we do report it, uh, we try to you know provide the context of well this is what somebody is alleging, and uh, that's a wrap. You know? That's all you can do. So what was one moment you had when you were at the NFL Network um, when you realized that you made it? What was like your coolest <laughs> shit? Look at look at what I'm doing right now moment. Uh, I mean, I, I never really, I never really entertained the idea that, that I've made it. Um, but like a, one like really cool moment was obviously that first week. There's a lot of stuff uh, where you're you're walking in the hallway and there's oh there's Deion Sanders, you know, <laughs> there's there's a guy you idolized uh, uh, growing up, or or you like I'm on I'm on a show right now with Terrell Davis. Like what? <laughs> that's that's insane to me. Um, but really, uh, honestly, last week on on Friday, uh, myself, Tiffany Blackman, Jeff Chadia, and uh, Steve Weich, uh, we 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 had a chance to to kind of just talk in general about the responsibility of players, if if there is any, uh, with regards to social protest, and it. it it felt incredible to to be able to uh, to provide a viewpoint that a lot of people uh, might not have had a chance to see, and obviously, you know, it, it upset some people the fact that we were having a conversation, which you know is, should send up whatever flags that you want to, <laughs> to somebody about that. But it's uh, that right there, man. Uh, our, our producer Larry Campbell told me that, that that was maybe his favorite thing that he's ever done. This is a guy that's worked at ESPN and NFL Network. And he's he's been in the business for uh, upwards of fifteen years, and to have him uh, to have him say that that was that was really cool. And so that honestly, I, I go back to last Friday. Uh, that's that's probably my favorite thing that we've ever done. And I think that's a good segue into the society portion of this podcast. Though I want to stay on that. I don't know how much information you can tell us about that segment because I definitely saw the segment. I thought it was great. I retweeted it. Uh, I thought it was very. Well organized. There was a lot of really interesting information, and I think the opinions were all very informed. Very like everyone clearly had something to say, and it was really cool. The NFL Network gave you a platform to do that. So, can you maybe give us some insight into the process of how that segment came to be? Well, um, really, it's uh, it's something that the, our producer of the show, Larry Campbell, wanted to do. Um, it's something that Steve, myself, Tiffany we're more than willing to be a part of. Uh, David Eden, uh, one of our bosses in the newsroom, was down with it. Um, Todd Sperry, um, a, a guy that's in charge of news, was, was down for it. And um, they thought it was going to be good television. It was going to be a forward television. And that's what, that's what we try to do. <laughs> that's, if, if it meets those tests, uh, then it's something that's, that's worth doing. And, um, and so we're, we're sitting there and trying to figure out, well, what, what should the conversation be? Um, 
And so I'm at, at that point, I try to, to think about what questions that we do. I mean, I'll, I'll go full inside baseball on this uh, and tell Ethan and, and anybody oh. listening. Hey, keep it going. Uh, this is good. This was a great yeah. segment. I only hear Owen made. And so we, we, we've got the three of them. Um, and so it's, well, how are we going to start? Well, we've got Tiffany, who's in Charlotte, uh, where these protests are going on. Uh, we'll, we'll come in with the Thomas Davis soundbite uh, to open up for discussion because he, you know, Thomas Davis makes a great point. And we got 24, 25. The average age of the guys in that locker room is 26 years old. Uh, I feel I feel incredibly prepared to have this conversation with anybody right now at 32. I don't think I would have done that great of a job at 26. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's there's there, so that that is what I wanted to start with to open that up to Tiffany to try to to let us and the viewers know where the locker room stood or where people in the locker room stood with regards to what they, not only what they should say or how they should say it, but whether they needed to or not. And, and I think from, from a Cam Newton standpoint, uh, you see somebody who is conflicted and uncomfortable having a discussion and which is what I ended the discussion with. If you're uncomfortable talking about anything, even, whether it's surgery or particle physics, like you don't you don't really get a lot of people who are uncomfortable talking about particle physics having conversations about it. You know what I mean? Like, you never you never hear somebody you know, talking about thermodynamics when they have no idea. And so, if you're uncomfortable talking about it, just you don't have to. And not everybody feels that way. People feel like, well, you're an athlete. You're, you're in a position of prominence. Uh, you should be like, you know, you should be like the Bennett brothers or Colin Kaepernick or, or anybody and, and use your platform. Um, but it's a discussion to be had. And so that's that's where we started with it, With this is, is whether or not uh, players should feel responsible to do that, which the ultimate answer is, um, however you feel, that's your decision to make. And so that's that's where we started. Uh, Steve Weish uh, comes in, and Steve was spectacular. I don't want to paraphrase Steve and and mince his words and what he said. Um, you know, I'll, I'll um, I'm gonna put the um, put the video at the, at the top, and I'll I'll tag it in my tagged post on Twitter, and I'll have it up there if anybody wants to go watch it. Uh, you know, Steve provides his perspective. Uh, Tiffany hers and, and Jeff his. I tried to squeeze a little bit of mine in there at the end. And the best part to me was because we weren't. All four of us aren't on the same exact page with this. And that was important as well uh, to, to get this idea. Because a lot of people feel like black people are a monolith, right? Like this is how black people think. But that, that, that's not the case. There's, there's varying degrees of how everybody feels about any particular topic. And, and so um, and that's what, that's what we did. And that was the conversation that we had. And so we went from there. Um, everybody went around. And then I figured I would I would use my question to, to put forth uh, something that I've wanted to clarify since the start of this protest was this isn't a protest of the national anthem. It's a protest during the national anthem. And somehow, uh, either nefariously or unintentionally, that got misconstrued 
in, in a lot of reporting. And so um, I asked if, if it was a lot of media responsibility to make clear that, to make that clear. Uh, Jeff Jadia didn't, didn't say that. He, he felt like uh, it was players' responsibility to do that. Uh, Steve felt another way. And, and we, um, we had the discussion. And then uh, we, we closed it up, put a button on it. Uh, you know, I said my little piece about being comfortable. Uh, obviously, the four of us are comfortable having, having this, this discussion. And if, if you're not comfortable, then uh, find somebody who is and, and sit down and listen to them. Because <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's something that a lot of people have spent a lot of time uh, figuring out and, and discussing. Um, you know, being black in America, growing up in the Internet age, uh, I've had plenty of opportunity to defend my humanity on the internet via, you know, Xbox Live, internet forums. Uh, you run across a lot of people who feel a certain way about you. And uh, I, I think it's, you know, it's kind of a crucible of training that informs you on, on how to have those discussions. And I've, I've had plenty. Yeah, that was, that was really fascinating. And I'm also going to, of course, repost the video that you mentioned with Steve and with Jeffrey and Tiffany. And, I mean, it was a great segment for me. And I guess following up from that, this past weekend, um, which I'm pretty sure you saw this, but uh, right before the game started at, like, 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, pretty much everyone on the timeline, there was a sea of people tweeting one of two phrases, and one of the phrases was a little bit incorrect, but it's okay, we're going to give them a pass. But they were tweeting either, I stand with those who kneel, or I stand for those who kneel, um, in support of the players. And that was one of the, str- really, it was cool. I'm not going to say it wasn't cool, because I thought it was a really cool moment. Um, it was a little bit crazy how it just suddenly happened. I, I literally was, I had no idea that this was coming, and I just see a ton of people tweeting, I stand for those who kneel, and I was just like, oh, I support that, so I'm going to tweet that as well, and it was just like one of those things that I, I, I thought that it was like a little bit of, of activism that was just kind of cool and kind of moving. Uh, what were your thoughts, were you were you aware of when that was happening, like, what were your thoughts about that? Yeah, I, I got word that that was going to go down, and... That's that's almost as important as some of what the players are doing, because to, to many people, they're never going to listen to to what those players are saying. It's never, it's never going to get them uh, because there's there's a blockage in there that requires certain things to be said from from certain people. And so when you have somebody like like Peter King, that that was the one that got me because I've you know you've 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 got a guy like Peter who's you know wrongly invoked MLK in, in a couple of situations and you wonder you know where it's going and and I've like, I think about my interactions with him I I was totally surprised to, to see him go that way with him and uh, and that that meant something man. Uh, there's there's people that their their ears perked up and, and they're willing to listen a little bit more uh, to see that that these guys are are understanding that there is that there's problems and I don't want to be vague I mean we can talk specifically about the problems and, and how they how they impact people 
Um, but that if there's impropriety with any police officer or with police as a whole, it's going to affect us. It's going to affect black people more than it will affect black people and Native Americans. It's, it's going to affect anybody, anybody of color disproportionately. And that's an issue. But the issues themselves, um, accountability for police, that's something that everybody should be able to give on. And I, I think more people are, are looking at that. And that's where you start. And, and then we then we can address the imbalances later. But but those issues, um, if you go to the Guardian and their their project, the Counted, or the Washington Post project, uh, keeping track of police shootings, you know those those are those are human beings that you you wonder where the justice system failed um, in terms of their deaths, and so that, that's. That's something that affects everybody. And more people are willing to listen to that because somebody like Peter King was willing to type in his Twitter browser that he stands for those who kneel. And I, I think it was important. And, and honestly, it was cool. It was cool to see it uh, on my timeline. And, you know, me personally, I <laughs> on my timeline, I honestly forgot to tweet it. I was all about it. I was ready to go. I should have scheduled it, but I'm pretty sure uh, anybody that follows me already knows where I stand. Yeah, you you do a really good job. Like like, and I'm gonna I'm gonna copy Peter King too because to me, and I've talked about this with friends before. Peter King seems like a really nice person who just can't always get his point across great in 140 characters. He needs a little bit and, more space to to write what he's thinking. Um, he also has some. Some bad takes. His Darren Sharper take is really, really bad. Um, but he seems like a nice guy. So I, I give him that. And it was cool that he dis- did start that as well. But yeah, I think that one of the reasons, and, and I was actually, before this podcast, I was going back in the history because I was like, when did I start following Patrick? And I honestly couldn't find it. <laughs> I, w- I don't know which one of us followed the other one first. But I do know that one thing that... Um, and this will lead into a question, I promise. Um, but, you know, we, we often joke about having professional accounts, or this is a professional account. And I think that you do a really good job of maintaining your personal opinions, your personal voice, but also keeping a level of professionalism. So, how do you think you're able to balance those two things? Uh, honestly, like... Twitter, it's it's kind of my open and honest reactions to literally everything uh, that happens happens in life. Like I don't, I, I you know I'll check myself every once in a while, or, or my wife will, will look over, look across the couch and be like, maybe you should maybe you should just not tweet right now. Um, which is you know the ten second rule is, is something that everybody should follow. But um, when you when I'm when I'm going about things, if, if something's important to me, or or if I think it's funny and harmless, uh, if something is important to me, I'm I don't want to not talk about it. <laughs> you know, like I, I think about uh, you know we lost we lost John Saunders this summer, and and I I, I I hope there wasn't something that John 
wanted to say but didn't. You know, Jose Fernandez is gone. I mean, D, uh, talking about it right now, looking at my Twitter timeline, if anybody posts that D Gordon video, I'm going to watch it, and chances are I'm going to cry. Um, there's, there's only just there's, there's only so many opportunities that you have uh, to, to to make comments when it's when it's really put on your heart to do so, and so and so that's what I try to do. Um, I may go on a 12 tweet run about Pedialyte on an ad that I saw on a promoted tweet. Um, I think I think I lose followers doing that, obviously. But uh, the way I the way I operate my Twitter, like I don't I don't know that I want 20,000 followers because the odds are if you get 20,000 followers, like there's there's some bad guys in there. I've probably blocked like I don't know. 350 people. <laughs> like I just, uh, if I see something that I really don't like, uh, I'll just block that person. There was a, a that trash account, uh, Peyton's Head. Oh God! Big, I Heads, Big Head Sports or whatever. He retweeted one of my tweets last uh, on Sunday, and I saw it. I'm like, well, I, don't, I don't want your followers looking at my tweets. I don't, I don't want your followers engaging me at all. And so I blocked him. And then he, you know, screenshotted it and was like, why did this guy block me? <laughs> and, so, and so a couple, of course, a couple of uh, people with deplorable in their name uh, were like, do you know how Twitter works? I'm like, yeah, watch this. And so I blocked them too. Um, but yeah, I, to get to get back to the point, like I, um, I want to communicate with people who want to communicate with me on, on a similar level. And if, uh, if somebody's not down with that, I, I, I don't want them following me. You know, I, I, don't, I don't want anybody hate following me. And I definitely try to, I have bad tweets. Obviously anybody has bad tweets, but you know, those like really tired, lame tweets that a lot of people have and they, you know, they get retweets and, and they'll get you followers. But I don't think those kinds are like, like LOL Romo hurt again. Like I, I don't. I don't think those tweets get you good followers. I. I think that that gets the trash sports underbelly of of people who have really superficial conversations at a bar. You know what I'm talking about, Ethan? Like, oh, I know. Really bad, I know 150 really, percent what you're talking really about. Like when it's sports conversations I, at a bar. Like I don't want to shit. I don't want to something mean because John Rothstein's a good reporter. But it's like when he tweets, "This is March." The same time, thirty times every time there's a buzzer beater in a game. It's like. <laughs> Who cares? We know it's March. Think of something a little bit more creative. And that's why you've had a lot of... Like, the kind of tweet that I want to hear is if someone tweets, when is someone going to mention the secret war going on with the cyberhumans I saw Donald's alleged actor <laughs> talking about in a video? Like, that, that, is, that, that is the kind of tweet, and, and that's one of your tweets, but that's got the kind of tweet I want to see. Like, that's funny. So it's... Like, that's entertaining. That'll make me want to retweet it. And I personally, like... I agree with you on the followers too. I'm, I've definitely had more followers in the past, but there's always like little purges and it always goes in ebbs and flows. And I'm fine with people unfollowing me if they don't want to listen to my tweets, because honestly, I probably don't want to engage with you if you don't want to listen. So, um, that's your choice. This app is free. You can do what you want. Um, yeah, I was actually just looking at, uh, at Twitter and saw breaking. So this will date our episode. That's fine. J.J. Watt might be out for the season now. Your co-worker, yeah, Ian Rappaport, just reported it. And, of course, Chaps tweeted him and said, thought that was me. Which was going to lead to another question that I had. 
how do you at the NFL Network, when you're putting these together, we're going to kind of out of order, but I really wanted to ask this. How do you not get duped by fake accounts? Just not follow them, or what do you do with that? I, I mean, me personally, I used to have uh, I used to have Chaps blocked when he did fake news. Uh, it, no, I, I, I definitely get uh, I definitely get a lot of people think that that's you know that's funny, um, and I'm not I'm not poo pooing on on anybody. Definitely not Chaps because Chaps is a legitimately good dude. Like, yeah, he is. That's an awesome dude. But, Friend of the podcast, he's been on before. And he has a really good new podcast too, Zero Zero Blog Thirty. It's really good. But when when I um you know when you're when you're doing this and, and trying to trying to get people up to date and so and Jeff doesn't do fake news anymore, which is awesome because I was able to, you know, unblock him. <laughs> but um but yeah, it's anybody that, that would be a purveyor of fake news, you just gotta get them off your timeline. Um because uh to me personally, and again, this isn't trying to look down on people, but, uh, you know, especially like fake injury news. Um, uh, that's a human being that's, uh, their livelihood in a lot of instances, especially somebody that's like a rookie coming towards the end of their first deal. Uh, you know, that's, that's somebody's livelihood. But, you know, that, and I don't, I don't necessarily personally, you know, think it's <laughs> think like fake injury news is funny. And so, uh, yeah, I, I would just always just always kind of block and mute anybody that would share that, that type of stuff. And, uh, you know, it's probably cost me to miss out on some people because, um, you know, everybody doesn't you know feel the same way about it as I do. But just, uh, you, you just, you know, you, you got to check the handle. You got to check the, the, the verified check. You got to look at the previous tweets, uh, know the follower account, and just... Uh, you know, don't get duped and knock on wood. Uh, I've been able to dodge it <laughs> for a long time. And worst case, if you're able to get duped, just own it. Oh, I fucked up. Whatever. Yeah. Unless you're yeah, ESPN and, then, and get and Adam Schefter gets really mad, which was, oh, that was funny. Yeah. If, that's that's with anything, man. When you mess up, like I messed up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's it. Uh, that's how that's how it's supposed to work. So you mentioned people with deplorable coming into your uh, your mentions and, you know, dating this podcast again. Uh, we had our first presidential debate last night. And I will say one thing that uh, jumped out to me that I don't think anyone's really talked about, at least not in the context that I expected it to be talked about, is uh, Donald Trump saying that stop and frisk worked. <laughs> that was That was something that was just not not smart considering what he purportedly said he wanted to do at the convention was that he wanted to get like he wanted to get a more diverse group of supporters who weren't just angry angry people for the most part well, and I, an yeah a different <laughs> a different adjective is that what you were going to say yeah yeah, yeah angry white people um and yeah, it's just like, this dude, I mean, you know what, Patrick, I'm going to give you the floor, just go for it. Say what you want. Well, man, I mean, there's, there's so much. Honestly, with, with, with him and, and Stop and Frisk, it's really just indicative of the, the lack of understanding that he has um, regarding simple things like that and, and people who are, are willing to vote for him. 
you know, I have I have friends or former friends <laughs> that uh, you know will will make impassionate arguments. Well, not friends. Uh, just I guess there's one person. I'm not going to name names. That will, um, you know, believes that that he's the the choice. You know, for for whatever nebulous, uh, stupid reasons uh, that, that somebody may have. And you know, you, you ask them, you ask the Trump supporters what they think about about any particular thing. And, and you get this stream of consciousness that doesn't make any sense. And that's what you saw from their dude last night, man. It, it just, there, it was literally like this, the, the speech from Billy Madison at one point, where you're like, what? I mean, that's, that's what I was saying, like, several times, just what? And, you know, she brings up the fact that he, he and Pops, you know, had multiple discrimination lawsuits. And he says that, oh, they were settled, so that was okay. And everybody was doing it, so that was okay. And so you have this guy who has all these supporters that deny the existence of systemic racism, but then you have a presidential candidate who says, well, yeah, everybody was discriminating against black people. Absolutely they were. That's not the question. The question was, why'd you do it? And was it right? Obviously, it's not right. And the answer that why he did it is because it was financially beneficial for him to discriminate against black people. And that's how discrimination happens, because there's benefits for it. And there's reasons that people do it. And so it's, it's tough, man, because how do you get them to understand, even? How do you explain that to somebody who's not willing to listen to you? I have wow. relatives like that, too. And although these relatives, a lot of their... I think they would openly say that a lot of their dislike of our current president and potential support of Donald Trump does actually stem from racism. Um, they also think that our current president is Muslim, similar to Donald Trump or what he used to think, so he claims. Yeah, I mean, like, like to me, like, I'm very lucky. I live in a place and work in a building where I'm pretty sure not one single person I interact with on a daily basis is a Trump supporter. Um, I did meet a couple, and honestly, they're just voting, I think they're more voting against Hillary because they think that she's so detestable that they don't want to move for Trump, or they don't want to, like, let her go into office. And, I mean, Hillary isn't perfect. We've all gone over why she's not perfect five billion times. Um, I mean, she also hasn't... I mean, even Trump brought up super predators last night, and Hillary didn't address it, which is going to be interesting to see if she does it again, or if he brings up the affair that her husband had, which, if, if he does that, I mean, that's the end of the election, I think. I think that would be well, a huge I mean, mistake. Honestly, even the things that he said, you know, this is a man who's proposed banning all Muslims from entering the country. Um, these people aren't going to leave him. Yeah. <laughs> they... They love they love what he stands for, which in general, ultimately is himself. That's what he stands for. But but they love that. Um, you know, Hillary's apologized for super predators. Even Donald uh, said that. And you know, when you come to terms with America, like when when you're standing there for the national anthem or or, or anything, this the country has problems. But the the whole idea of the country is that it, it addresses those problems. You know, Ronald Reagan 
apologize for apologizes for Japanese internment. You know, Barack Obama is, is, is walking through Hiroshima. It's it's our ability to say, like we were talking about earlier, we really messed up. And and she and she'll be the first person to tell you that super predators was was awful. But there are a lot of people that super predators made a lot of sense to. And it makes sense to us. You know, it doesn't make sense to, to that person who's who's probably still incarcerated at, at a rate or you know, for a time that they, they shouldn't be. Uh, but, but the goal and plan is to ultimately fix that. And so when you're when you're talking about her, because people make these these false parallels between the two, like, oh yeah, well they're both bad. They're both bad. He can't understand the fundamental issues with stop and frisk. How is he supposed to repair the criminal justice system? And, and so it's if somebody is able to to admit to a mistake, that's I mean that's preferred to me to, to somebody that's quote unquote never made a mistake before, or somebody like in the instance of Donald Trump who's never had to face consequences in his life for anything, <laughs> a single thing. And I, so I mean that's that's the choice there. Yeah, I mean the test that comes to mind that I keep thinking of and this is a little bit morbid and sad but I was thinking of I mean definitely like it has not been a good year for gun violence in this country whatsoever um I I've tried to get more active on the issue especially after what happened in Orlando because that was just a little bit scary and I actually ended up finding out that I knew someone who um, was related to someone who got killed there, which was a little bit, little too real, yeah, it was a little, little too real, um, and other, and for whatever other reasons, but I think that, like, like, this is the hypothetical I like, <coughs> that I like to think, our next president's elected, and in eight months, there's a tragedy that happens, some sort of shooting, or some sh- sort of mass killing, um, 10 to 15 people are killed. Could you imagine Donald Trump addressing the country after that and trying to be sympathetic? Well, I think the thing is, Ethan, about imagining that, I mean, we see the way that he responds to attacks right now. And so here's a guy who's going to be, would be the, in theory, the commander in chief of, of our armed forces, the most powerful organization in the history of our planet. And that's going to be the guy with the gun in his hand. Like that's that's impo- it's impossible. They they talked about it last night. The idea that you know these these guys are on this Arabian boat and they're you know whatever giving us the bird, you know recreating the scene from Top Gun, moaning us whatever. And, and President Trump is is going to say that you should incinerate them. <laughs> It's, it's preposterous to me. Uh, you know, I believe in America. It's, I, I think that with the good outweigh uh, the deplorable in this instance. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's not a real choice. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not, there's no decision to be made. Even, even lifelong Republicans, I know, are saying there's no decision. And, I mean, I, I think that the biggest thing that I'm realizing with this entire process is for, for all of his faults and he wasn't perfect, I'm going to miss the family currently in the White House a lot when they leave. They're so good. 
And, I mean, by far the most cohesive family we've had in the White House in many, many, many years. Um, and, yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna miss them. Although I think Michelle's ready to leave. I think she's, she's done. But <laughs> the moment that I think about with Obama's presidency that I just can't see Trump doing, it was in Charleston after the Dylan Roof shooting. And I just remember watching that day. It was June 20... I remember the day. It was June 26, 2015, because that was also the day that gay marriage got legalized. That was, that was a, that was a pretty, and like the historical context of days, that was a pretty big day. Uh, and I remember that Obama came and he spoke and talked about love and loss, and then he sang Amazing Grace. And it was one of those things where it, it was like, that is the church, like that, that is the church of America. That is, um, that's what really makes America great. It's when we all come together and are able to support each other. And that is something that shouldn't happen just when somebody gets shot. That's something that should happen every day. Absolutely. Honestly, like, the the Obama, it sucks that that we have these moments and they're all tied to mass shootings. But um, I remember just being an absolute destroyed mess the day he spoke in Newtown. Mm. Um, I, I was inconsolable trying to put a newscast together, uh, looking up there and watching the president speak. And, and so was he. And, uh, you know, really, really a lot of people were. Um, and then, of course, you have the people that don't like him that, that claims that he doesn't love America, <laughs> which is like, which is case in point. Uh, that's, that's what we like to call self-snitching. Um, if, if you think about Barack Obama doesn't love America. Um, but, but yeah, man, uh, he's, uh, history is going gonna, is gonna to look back uh, pretty favorably. Yeah. Uh, I that, I agree, and, but uh, I think I think it was you know I'm blessed to have had the opportunity, and, and I'm, I've got to remember to write him a letter asking for a uh, a welcome letter that they they give to newborns, and I'll kind of be cheating because he'll be out of office by the, by the time my child is born. But uh, yeah, I'm going to want that letter from him, <laughs> regardless of uh, regardless of whoever it is. Uh, it's going to be cool. Yeah, close enough. It's with it. She, the baby was conceived while he was in office, so it's fine. Um, yeah, so let's, I mean, this was great. So much to talk about, and yeah, I'm going to retweet the video for sure. Um, just giving some more context to that. But let's go on to the stuff portion. Uh, we'll keep it nice and quick. And we've talked a lot about Twitter tonight. I know you are a, a Twitter lover. Um, yes. You, you, you are a big fan of Twitter. So, you gave some advice on how you like to craft your tweets. Who are some of your favorite accounts to follow? Oh, man. Favorite accounts. Um, well, right now, David Fahrenthal. Um, I know we've, we've been talking a lot of politics. Uh, he, he reports for the Washington Post, and he's been all over the Trump Foundation. That guy's crushing it right now. He's, he's been a Pulitzer Prize. Uh, he's, he's a must-follow right now. Um, and obviously, there's you know there's the conversation uh, generators of of sports, and so those are your those are your Bomani Joneses, your your Spencer Halls, um, 
be Jason Kirks, um, Holly Anderson, of, of course. Um, you know, the whole Grantland crew, Shea Serrano is probably the best follow on Twitter. Uh, in fact, not probably. <laughs> Shea Serrano is definitely the best follow on Twitter. Uh, you know, he, he, he gets people involved. Uh, obviously, the, the discussion of the book sales is, is a part of that. And, you know, people... He tries to get the book away for free. I mean, people insist on paying for it. Um, you know, Shea's incredible. Uh, Chris Brown, smart football, has taught, has taught me a lot. And so you, you've got those people that kind of get a discussion and generate that discussion. And then, of course, uh, you know, there's all my friends and coworkers uh, at the NFL. But uh, Shea is definitely the best the best follow on Twitter because uh, he, he, he makes everything interesting and makes it all go. And uh, and everybody else is just kind of you know what what gets the flow going, what gets the conversation going, and uh, you get you get all those those folks involved, the, the networks of the world. Um, you know, and I realize you, you know, I'm dropping a lot of Grantland people, but that's you know it's because <laughs> that's because they had they had a tremendous incredible thing going uh, for a really long time, and uh, so so those those folks are good, and then just in general. Uh, sometimes you'll browse a tweet and then read the replies to a tweet and you'll see something really good. If you see a really good reply to a tweet, uh, click on that person and read a few of their, of their tweets and then follow them. I've randomly followed a lot of people on a lot of random stuff. And I'm sure someone's like, why is this guy from the NFL network following me? Just because you, you want to make your timeline uh, diverse and interesting. Because uh, I, I think that gives you uh, some well-rounded views on everything. And so that, that's really, you know, just, you see a good-ass tweet, follow somebody. <laughs> that's how I try to operate. Yeah, and, and definitely I I subscribe to the theory that if you put out good tweets, your timeline will be good. Yes, like, if you put absolutely. out real, and, and I think that goes to, like, the follower count. Like, if you put out interesting, unique tweets that uh, aren't just, like, off-the-cuff reactions or whatever... People will pe- people will respond to that and they'll follow you back. If you just you could just be generic and you could just pretend that you have sources and <laughs> and be like my sources telling me that so and so is going to sign with so and so's. But yeah, um, don't do that. <laughs> just do it yourself and you'll be able to get followers. And I mean that's how a lot of people I know who I follow. That's how a lot of them have really begun to grow. Um, I think about some people who've been on the show before. I mean, Ben Natan, uh, who's been on the show multiple times, he's a really good friend of mine, he writes for Green Nation. He does so many things, and his tweets are, like, barely sports. And he his, still has, his, like, 4,500 followers. And yeah, he's doing ben, well for himself. I mean, people, for people listening, I, I just want to plug Ben's piece um, on Malcolm Jenkins and the, and the Eagles and the, and the protests. Uh, folks oh, yeah. got a chance to, to read that. He, he really crushed that. He knocked that out of the park. Yeah, that's a guy who doesn't even like Ben doesn't have locker room access, but somebody like Elliot Shore Parks does, and 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 when I think of like Elliot Shore Parks, I think about like the takedown of Deshaun Jackson where he he was citing Eagles sources saying that Deshaun was had these gang connections and they were violent, so that's why they had to let him go. Like that guy has locker room access, but then somebody somebody like Ben who's able to understand and contextualize the issues that players are going through. You know, he's writing that from home. <laughs> that, that's an issue of, of, of what of what the, a lot of stuff, where the 
the divide and the disconnect is where a lot of the people that are in that locker room uh, that are working do not understand fundamental issues of the athlete. And, and that's, and I think part of that. So follow Ben, read his stuff. It's good. Yeah. Follow Ben for sure. I mean, I think part of that though is a lot of the best writers who I know, a lot of the best reporters who I know yourself, not included in this, of course, um, they didn't have journalism backgrounds. Uh, they just were really smart people who like writing and maybe they did like a, a little bit of journalism, but it wasn't necessarily something that they were married to doing. Um, like Spencer Hall is a really good example. I don't know if anyone here or you read his uh, piece today about the Nebraska player. Yeah. Who it's a must read. It's, it's a must read. And it, that's the thing. That's, that's why I said follow him. Like Spencer, you know, he starts out, he does the curious index. Every so often, is the first thing you see. This one's like, this is not a real curious index. And he goes into the vitriol that the Nebraska guy has, has been dealing with, and he puts it in terms where anybody should be able to understand it. And uh, he, he's an incredible writer. And like you mentioned, like everybody does it. Well, a lot of journalism is just critical thinking and rational thought. And if you're good at that, uh, then you can be you can be huge in this game. And uh, that's that's a guy that's that's one of the best. And so it's, um, yeah, man, if people want to, people want to get involved, you just have to be able to think rationally, uh, think critically, be pragmatic at times and, uh, and just make it work. Yeah. A lot, a lot of journalism also is just like, I think people overvalue, um, inside information as you were alluding to at the end of the day, like when I started on Twitter, I would, I went to. I would cover games a lot more. I was the sports director of a radio station in Providence, Rhode Island. So I would go to a lot of games and I would go into the locker room and cover them and I would get stories and uh, it was great. Uh, I really liked it, but like, I know so much more now than I did when I actually was doing that uh, about pretty much everything. Just because if you're good to people, they want to tell you things. And if you can keep a secret, then they'll tell you more things. Um, yeah, I mean, I just think that's one of those things where if you show yourself to have a good understanding of the situation, that can only help inform um, how you're going to respond to something like prove that you're trustworthy and then prove that you know how to talk with situations and then you'll be in good shape. And Steve Weish was the guy who broke the Kaepernick story in the first place. So it's just one yeah, of those exactly. things where NBC knew what he was talking about and Kaepernick trusted him. Yeah, it's... It's difficult to imagine because people still didn't understand, even with Steve's initial reporting. Imagine how that story and the conversation goes today if that's somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's just, probably... Just imagine. It's just probably, imagine how different it would be. Yeah, probably. Uh, anyway, this is going to be the end. I actually am going to let you drift out into the abyss on your door into the ocean. Uh, hopefully you can, uh, can survive. Uh, but no... Patrick, thank you so much. This was incredible. Um, it was great talking to you. We covered so much ground, and we're definitely going to have you on again at some point soon. Thanks, man. I'll, I'll never let go, man. There's, there's space on this door for both of us. <laughs> All right, well, I, I, I will jump on once I'm able to, to, to figure out where I'm going to land, and as long as we both don't drown. <laughs> anyway, that is this week's episode of the Hammer Time Podcast. I'm your host, Ethan Harriman, talking about sports society and stuff. Thank you so much for listening. Like, comment, subscribe, share this. Uh, and we'll be back soon. And until then, we'll talk to you later.